encourage you to find a Bible or, or the insert in your bulletin and follow along this morning's scripture reading, Acts 21, starting in verse 37 and going to chapter 22, verse 9. This will be our scripture reading this morning, the word of the Lord. Twenty-one thirty-seven to 22, 9. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And they said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and there was a great hush, and he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted the way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I, and I journeyed toward Damascus to, those, to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were there with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I pray as we dive into this text this morning that you would speak powerfully clearly, and show us the beauty of your way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Richard Wormbrand has more than just a funny name. Uh, he, he asked a question one time uh, to a group of pastors. He said, will you choose to suffer? If suffering were offered to you as a gift, would you accept it? As we start this morning, I think that's a good question for us to chew on and to ponder. Of If suffering was offered to you as a gift, would you take it? I imagine we probably have an initial instinct, but I hope this morning that by the grace of God and through his Holy Spirit, that God will... Help us answer that question, maybe with a little bit more depth. I want you to think as we begin, what are some of the most famous trials that you can remember? And I say that in two ways. Maybe a trial that you've gone through, 
Or maybe I'm also more so thinking of an actual trial, like a court trial. Um, I know some of us have lived longer than others and can think back a little further. I'm assuming most of you probably don't remember the trial of Socrates in the year 339 BC. Um, but I think maybe if you grew up, you read about the trial of Socrates. Um, there's also the trial of Galileo in 1633 that was pretty famous. Um, Salem had a famous trial in 1692. Maybe you've heard of it, the witch trials. In 1925, there was the Scopes Monkey Trial, talking about evolution in schools. 1970, there was the trial of Charles Manson. 1995, now we're getting into my era a little bit, uh, O.J. Simpson trial. And then, according to one list that I saw, the most famous trial in history was the trial of Bill Clinton in 1999. And so for this week and next week, we're actually going to be looking at the Apostle Paul on trial. So really from chapters 22 to 26 in Acts, Paul is on trial. That's a lot of, that's a big chunk of the story of Acts, the story of the church where Paul, the chief you know, evangelist in the story at this point is on trial. He's being brought before the courts. This week, he's brought before the courts of, of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Remember last week, Paul said, I want to go to Jerusalem. And all his friends said, don't go because it's dangerous. Well, guess where Paul is this week? He's in Jerusalem because it was the will of God for him to be there. And he finds himself on trial. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Next week, we see Paul on trial with government leaders of Rome particularly standing before the governors and the authorities. Why do a sermon on persecution? What, what could possibly go well about a sermon on persecution? You know, it has been said already today that this is the Sunday where we pray for the persecuted church, and so it's fitting that we're going to look at the term persecution today, but How does it apply to you and me today uh, in a city like this, in a time like this? I'm going to just a couple opening comments about persecution as a whole. First, persecution in one sense has been greatly overstated. You know, Christians maybe in the modern day are quick to pull the persecution card of saying that, you know, we're being persecuted for something. You know, maybe in America too, even in the last couple of years, think about the ways that Christians in our country have, have cried persecution. Anything from, from mask mandates to chicken sandwiches at Chick-fil-A to tax-exempt statuses of churches. There's a lot of things that people have thrown up the flag of persecution. Like, they're after us. They're trying, to, they're trying to destroy the church. So I think in one sense, persecution's been overstated in that way. But in another real sense, persecution has been understated globally. And we forget that there are Christians around the world, like the the nations I mentioned to you earlier today, that are living in extremely difficult situations and circumstances. And they face real imprisonment, real prospects of death for being a Christian. The Gordon-Conwell Center for the Study of Global Christianity has said that there's actually been more martyrs for the Christian faith in the last 100 years than there were the entire 1900 years combined. Part of that's because there's more people in the world, but also there is a rise in extremism, and persecution is definitely still part of our world. 
Persecution also is biblical. If you open up the biblical text from Genesis to Revelation, you see themes of persecution throughout. God's people have experienced it throughout history, and the Bible is actually pretty careful to record it for us. To the point where even Jesus talks about it in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. He stands up at the very end, Matthew 5, 10 to 12, right at the end of the Beatitudes. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on to say, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they also persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus says, listen, persecution is something that's always happened to my followers, and it's something that will continue on. And persecution, therefore, is also misunderstood. Um, Persecution is different than suffering, though it's part of it. Suffering describes the pain and hardship that every single one of us faces in the world and every person in the world faces because of sin. But persecution is a a direct result, suffering as a direct result of your faith in Jesus. That's when it turns from suffering to persecution. You're suffering because you're a Christian. You're being arrested, being beaten, having your rights taken away, dying because you're a Christian. It's not necessarily a result of sin. It's a result of Jesus. So even now, we're kind of saying, Jesus, this is on you. Persecution is on your plate. And we're going to unpack that a little bit as we go this morning. Persecution for the Christian, as we're going to learn this morning, is actually not a bad thing. It's painful. It involves suffering but it actually unveils a powerful, distinctive, and beautiful truth for the world. Romans 8 puts puts it this way, verses 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so God is on the move in the world, and in the book of Acts, and in our lives, and in our city. And he is on the move even through persecution because not even persecution can separate us from the love of Christ. So this morning, let's learn from Paul together. Let's humble ourselves and say, Lord, okay, show me a beautiful thing about persecution. How can this possibly be a good thing or something that is okay to reconcile? So we're gonna look at the place of persecution in the world today, the particularity of persecution for Christians and the power of Christian persecution. So first... The place of persecution. I want you to imagine yourself driving on the way to church. You're in your car. Here you are, driving on the road. Here you go to church. Driving on the highway, and all of a sudden, you get stuck in the worst traffic. Oh, it's the worst. You're suffering. You're sitting there in traffic. It's a terrible thing. You're getting frustrated. Why is there all this traffic? I'm going to be late for church. Eventually, you... 
keep nudging forward and you come around the corner and you eventually see that there's been a horrific car accident that's caused all this traffic. All of a sudden, your experience of suffering is, seems foolish, right? I was complaining about traffic and now there's this terrible car accident. They, they are suffering way worse than I am. Your experience now even pales in comparison to theirs. And so it's important for us to place persecution in the larger context of suffering as a whole. And so what is the place of persecution? Persecution exists within this larger framework of suffering, the larger, more universal reality. Everybody suffers. And it's important for us to say, even just ever so briefly to begin this this sermon and to begin this point in the sermon, that suffering exists because we're all sinners. That sin is something that we all share in common. It's a, it's a virus that we've contracted because of the brokenness of the world, because of the initial rebellion of Adam and Eve that's been passed down to us that now we inherit and perpetuate ourselves or our own rebellion. And now because of that, this world is fractured and broken. And because of that, suffering is a, is a reality for each of us. Everything from a traffic jam to a horrific car accident to many other things. We all suffer. It's a result of the fabric of life becoming undone because of humanity's conscious, initial, free choice to sin. It was conscious in that it was intentional. Sin was intentional by Adam and Eve, and oftentimes you and I, if we're we're admitting to ourselves, we intentionally sin. And it's a deception from Satan to think that, that that is a better choice to make. But we make that choice intentionally, consciously, to rebel. It's initial. There's a one-time sin occurrence that then broke the world. It fractured the relationship of trust with God. Romans 3 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And therefore, all it takes for you and I is one sin to to cause a, a fissure in relationship. And it's a free choice. You know, we didn't have to choose that, but we did. Again, Adam and Eve could have chosen the tree of life to eat from continually, but they chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why did God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil even there to begin with? Because he wanted freedom for humans. And so just as we freely could have chosen his way, we also now freely have chosen a rebellious way. And again, you and I continue this in our own lives today. It's now part of our infection. But suffering, and this is really important, really important. When a preacher says it's really important, it's really really important, I guess. It's important to say this. Suffering itself is not a sin. Sin causes suffering, but you can suffer today without having committed a sin. What I mean by that is, if you get in a car accident, it's not because necessarily you are breaking the speed limit. You could be doing everything perfectly right and just suffer because you're at the wrong place at the wrong time. So sinning always causes suffering, but suffering is not always a result of sinning. And that that should build some compassion for us towards one another, that when we see a suffering person, we can look to them and say it's not their fault that they're suffering necessarily. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's just a result of being in a really broken world. And therefore our hearts should have some solidarity and compassion for that person. And we hope that people would see that in us too. That if we contract cancer, it's not... Again, you remember the story with Jesus 
you know, where there's the, there's the sick person and the disciples are saying, well, who sinned? Who, who, whose sin caused this? And Jesus says, was it their sin? You know, so we have that compassion for others as well. So who suffers? Everyone suffers. Intentional sinners, unintentional sinners, Christians and non-Christians. Christians are part of the suffering world. Religious adherents around the world also suffer and experience difficulties. Think of, think of the suffering of Muslims after 9-11, for instance. That was a real suffering that they experienced because of the fear that entered into our country. And so Christians, too, are not also free from suffering. All are uniquely suffering in the world. And in fact, biblically speaking, Christians actually, if anything, as opposed to being free from suffering, in the Bible, it seems to say that Christians actually will probably experience more suffering. And how can that be the case? And this gets into our second point. What's the particularity of persecution? Christian persecution is all because of Jesus. Again, we're going to put persecution on Jesus' lap and say, Jesus, persecution exists in large part because of you. And so you have to be the one that helps us understand this. So we're putting the onus on Jesus this morning. So let's go back to our earlier scenario of the car crash. Let's adjust it slightly. Let's say you're the Christian driving to church in your car in the morning, and you have one of those Jesus fish on the back of your car. Anybody have a Jesus fish on the back of their car? I learned a while ago I probably shouldn't put one because when I speed or do something stupid on the road, I don't want to heap <laughs> blame on Jesus. Just, it's my fault. Okay. If you have a fish, that's fine. I'm not judging that either. I'm just saying. Let's say you have a fish on the back of your car and you're a Christian driving to church. And let's say the driver next to you on the road sees that fish on the back of your car and, and gets filled with rage and says, I hate Christians. And he decides to intentionally wreck you. That's persecution. Because of your faith in Jesus, suffering happens to you. That's now persecution because of your faith specifically. So persecution is suffering specifically for your faith in Jesus. And friends, that's something that you and I can choose to, to disassociate from. You don't have to follow Jesus. You can actually, you can remove Jesus from your life and not experience persecution like that, right? That's, again, suffering you can't. Suffering can come your way. But you can choose to not follow Jesus and remove the persecution part. That's a choice. Or you can be like what Paul shows us here and double down on Jesus and trust that the persecution that comes actually is furthering something deeper in your life. And so let's look at Paul in this story. I know it took us a while to get here, but look at chapter 22 particularly. Again, Paul is in Jerusalem, um, and he hasn't been there very long, but he's already been now brought before people. A, a crowd, an angry crowd comes in chapter 21, verses 27 to 33. This angry crowd comes, and they, they, they're accusing Paul of breaking temple traditions, which is not true. Um, they just saw something about a Gentile, and they assumed he brought him into the temple. It actually wasn't the case. And, and they're accusing Paul of... of False teaching that is now running the whole city upside down. Paul eventually is carried away by the officials for his safety, verses 34 to 40. The officials come and bring him away to try to save him from being beaten to death. And then in verse 1 of chapter 22, it says Paul starts his defense. And he chooses to speak in Hebrew. 
And he tells the story of his conversion, which we preached on several weeks ago back in Acts 9. And Paul retells it here. This is the third time he's told this story in Acts. And again, if you look at the story of his conversion, Paul is very intentional to make it all about the person of Christ. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, again, verse 4, it says, I was persecuting the way. Then verse 7 and 8. It says, I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to, me, saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Who was Paul persecuting? He was persecuting Jesus. And who's the person who comes and encounters Paul? Jesus. So Jesus is both the object of Paul's uh, persecution and now Paul is the subject of Jesus' encounter. Jesus is on both ends of this. And then it says in verse 9, it says, Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one speaking to him. What does this mean? It means that Jesus was uniquely, personally speaking to Paul. What he was saying was only meant for the Apostle Paul at this time. And friends, this is the power of the Christian faith is that when you believe, it's because Jesus has a a specific transformative encounter with you personally. And you can't deny it. You, You sense it, you feel it, you experience it, and you walk away saying, that was Jesus. And that, therefore, I, that, that's, that's why I, I can't manufacture that for you. None of us can manufacture it for each other. Only, only you and Jesus have that encounter together. But the point here is that Jesus is part of this whole thing. And then go down several verses later to verse 21 of chapter 22. All the way at the end. So a couple of things happen here. Paul continues telling his story. And it says, to, it says verse 21, And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And the crowd loses their mind after this. They get so upset. Verse 22 it says, Up to this time they listened to him, and then they raised their voices and they said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. This really got under their skin. Why? Jesus said to Paul, Go to the Gentiles. So two things are upsetting the people here. Number one, Jesus said this. So again, he's doubling down on Jesus. He's like, listen, I didn't want to go to the Gentiles. Jesus told me to go to the Gentiles. But then the people are upset because, again, this is now the nations being brought into this faith. It's not just Israel anymore. It's Israel and the Gentiles together. And so the reason Paul gets persecuted is, it's really, it's, it's, it's an amazing compilation of facts here. Paul gets persecuted because Jesus seems to be including people that others didn't want to be included, the Gentiles. And yet, he's also, Paul's also being persecuted because Jesus is excluding things from their lives. And so, who are these people that were persecuting Paul? If you go back to chapter 21, at the beginning of this whole episode, it says that they were Jews from Asia, which were the people that were in Ephesus a couple of weeks ago, who were really upset because Paul was basically wrecking their economic system because he was taking away their idols. And so Jesus here is, is clearly excluding their finances, and that's causing fear. Remember, they're talking about the temple. Jesus is excluding their temple traditions here in some way, and so that's causing fear. 
And then they're looking at this guy, Paul, and they're seeing the life change that's happened in this guy. And they're, I think they're looking at him and saying, if Jesus changes me that much, I'm not sure that's what I want. Have you ever looked at somebody that was once one way and is now another way, and it's kind of freaked you out a little bit? Like, that was a big transformation in a person's life. And that can maybe cause some fear. So Jesus here is excluding our own comforts, and that's causing persecution. They're, they're going to leap on top of Paul because of these fears. And then there's also the religious leaders uh, that are heaping insults and persecution on Paul. But again, the point, this whole second point is persecution is all centering around Jesus. His call, his encounter, his, his central place in this whole story. Paul is putting it all on Jesus and saying, listen, I'm here because of Jesus. I'm going because of Jesus. And therefore, if I'm going to be persecuted, it's because of Jesus. One way you could describe sin is the intentional or unintentional persecution of God himself. You ever thought about that? If sin is rebellion against God, you could even say that sin is us choosing to persecute God. And I think that's what's happening in this passage. That Paul is saying, listen, you're not actually persecuting me If anybody you're persecuting, you're actually persecuting Jesus, just like what I used to do when I was, you know, an extremist in earlier times, in the earlier parts of Acts, Paul said, I persecuted the way of Jesus. And he's looking at the Jews and saying, you're actually persecuting the the person of Jesus here. And that actually is the sin that is revealed. Now let's get to the hope here. What's the power of persecution And how can you land a sermon on persecution for us today? Amazingly, the scriptures have passages over and over that talk about Christian persecution alone having the power to bring hope. How can you say that, Stephen? Let me read a couple of scriptures for you. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, if any of you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense, like Paul is doing, to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is within you. So why does Paul not shy away in this situation while he's making his defense? Because he is being put on the stand to declare the hope that is within him, which is why he's deflecting to Jesus so much here. So imagine yourself in that driving your car to church scenario earlier. You've been wrecked by the guy who's really angry at Christians. What do you do when you get out of the car? You're wrecked. You're going to have to go talk to this guy. What do you say? tell you a few things that Paul says. But to lead into that, I'm going to read you one more passage, which Kevin, I think there's a a scripture here that I'm going to put on the screen for you, which it's that important of a scripture because I think it flips persecution up on its head. This is Colossians 1, 24 to 29. Listen, listen carefully to what this text says. This is Paul speaking. 
Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, listen to this. In my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. Let me just stop there for a second. How is it possible that we can fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Weren't Christ's afflictions, his wounds, his death on the cross, wasn't that final? Wasn't that full? Wasn't that everything? Yes. But for one thing, and John Piper has helped me understand this. He's a a well-known pastor. What he helps us understand is this. When it says, fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, he's basically saying that the point of a Christian, the way that a Christian is to look at persecution, is when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, he ascended back up into heaven. But when you and I bear the, bear the afflictions of Jesus, when we are persecuted, when we suffer, what that actually is doing for us and for Jesus is we are walking around with the, the literal wounds of Jesus, of the cross, and displaying them to a watching world. That when we suffer or when we're persecuted for Jesus' sake, we actually can do one thing that Jesus couldn't do, which is be a walking representation of the cross of Jesus to the world and show the sacrifice and the love of Jesus through our suffering. And friends, that's a hard, mature place to get to as a Christian. So Colossians 1 goes on to say that the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now has been revealed to the saints To the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. We are the walking representation of the cross of Jesus to the world. That's what it means to fill up the afflictions of Christ. So what does Paul say when he's encountering his persecutors? He says to those, I I was and am just like you. That's why he speaks the Hebrew language. He's like, I'm just like you, but for the grace of God. And then he basically says, but listen to this crazy story of what has happened to me. And he tells his conversion story. I was just like you, not understanding, persecuting the way of Jesus. Angry maybe even at at the church. But listen to this crazy story of how Jesus encountered me and changed my heart. See my wounds is what he says next. They're the wounds of Jesus Christ. When I'm beaten, when I'm flogged, when I'm shackled, when I'm put into prison, these are the wounds of Jesus. These are what Jesus did for you so that you might live, so you might have life, so you might have hope, so you might be set free from sin, so you might be set free to suffer for an even deeper purpose. Friends, we're all going to suffer. So if you're going to suffer, suffer well by suffering with the wounds of Jesus, the cross of Jesus on your arms. And then he finally gets to this place of joy, right? He says, I rejoice in my sufferings. 
Jesus said, rejoice and be glad, those of you who are persecuted, for your reward is great in heaven. And even the apostles earlier in Acts said they they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for Jesus' name. All this combines into this idea of the hope of persecution. And so we pray for those who persecute us. Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world because they are experiencing suffering. We pray for them to not suffer, but we also pray for them to endure suffering because they are displaying the wounds of Jesus to their context. As one writer says, when you read ancient Christians, you notice that we mainly talk about Christ sharing in our sufferings. The ancient Christians mainly talk about Jesus sharing in our sufferings. So my closing story is this. It's a story told by another pastor that I'll just repeat secondhand. Fifteen years ago, I had the opportunity to hear J. Oswald Sanders speak, and his message touched me deeply on suffering. He was 89 years old and still traveling and speaking around the world. He had written a book a year since he turned 70. I mention that to you only to exult in the utter dedication of a life poured out for the gospel without the thought of coasting into self-indulgence from 65 to the grave. And this guy told a story of a missionary who walked barefoot from village to village preaching the gospel in India. His hardships were many, and after a long day of many miles and much discouragement, he came to a certain village and tried to speak the gospel, but was driven out of town and rejected. So he went to the edge of the village, dejected, and laid under a tree and slept because he was exhausted. And when he woke up, people were hovering over him, and the whole town was gathered around to hear him speak. The headman of the village explained that they came to look him over while he was sleeping, and when they saw his blistered feet, they concluded that he must be a holy man and that they had been evil to reject him. And they were sorry and wanted to hear the message that he was willing to suffer so much to bring to him. And so the evangelist filled up the afflictions of Jesus with his beautiful, blistered feet. Friends, may we do that with whatever persecution and blisters or afflictions we take. They are the feet that bring the good news. Let me pray for us. Lord, we pray that deep prayer that you would teach us the hope of persecution, that we would pray not to escape it, but rather that it would be used by you to further your purposes and to shine a beautiful light on you, your love and your grace for the world. That is good news. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.